Okay. I'm going to hit the record button so that we don't actually forget to put anything good and juicy. Juicy. So let's let you continue with Reginald Vell Johnson, whom today's um, theory will begin. But let's start with a little intro. Welcome, everybody, to another Fanspiracy Theory here on 7 Days to Rock and Stone Guardians. Rock and Stone. Today's a good one. Uh, it's not so much about a show or movie in particular. It is about a character. But we were just discussing between ourselves just before we hit the record button about Reginald Vell Johnson. Um, now I'm going to let Ryan go ahead and explain Reginald Vell Johnson, and, and then we'll get get started here. So take it so, away. So uh, Reginald Vell Johnson, uh, as you may know as Carl, is uh, sometimes thought of as America's father from TGIF, uh, show Family Ties, if I'm remembering the name correctly. Uh, no, Family Matters. No, Family Matters. The oh, one, The one with is... Steve Urkel. It's just so hard because, like, two thirds of the shows during every the 90s mo- every were show like that came out in the early eighties, oh, sorry, late eighties, early nineties started with family something. Yeah, we got Family Ties, Family Matters, Family Pains, oh, no. or something. Family Ties is the one that has the actor that looks like my dad. Oh, uh, that's funny. Um, that's the father of that show. But Family Matters. Family, um, yeah, he does look like your dad, doesn't he? <laughs> he sure that's does. The one with Michael J. Fox. And yeah, uh, yeah. But I'll yeah, type, original I'll type family into IMDb here for a second, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna take a See look. What comes up? What yeah. comes up here? Well, we got Family Guy at the top. That's no surprise there. No surprise. Um, really? TV shows that have family in the name, because apparently IMDb doesn't, uh, you know, make any sense. So we've got some new ones, Modern Family, Family Guy, Family Ties, Family Matters, The Adams Family, Family Feud, All in the Family. <laughs> Is that all of them? Come on. No. And there are, there are a more. bunch that are like about families too. So like I think you could be forgiven for uh yeah, confusing those too. Yeah, but anyway, continue where you were going with that. Yeah, so Carl, he's the dad. Uh, he also plays a police officer in that show. Uh, and, like, the show is just, it's so iconic. And it's really probably one of the best examples of, like, sitcom family comedy in, like, honestly, the past, like, 30 years. So it's really just a fantastic, like, family show that has, like, really great dad and you know has really great emotional moments uh but he really stands out but he's a police officer there and then you just see him as a police officer and like a whole bunch of other a uh, whole slew of other things shows and stuff uh let's go into some of them i should i should mention that took place in chicago so he was a police officer in chicago yeah so let's go into some of the ones that i'm aware of so he was one of his first roles one of his first big roles i should say was in ghostbusters as a jail guard um i don't know if you remember him in there but he was right where they were discussing a lot of paranormal activity while they were locked up um, that's when that's what he showed up. But anyway, so he's go- in there. He's Ghostbusters, uh, Die Hard. He plays Sergeant Al Powell. That was one of the major kicking off points for his career, as I recall. Do you ever watch Die Hard? Oh, of course. 
Die Hard uh, was I mean, a big one. It's my favorite Christmas movie. Um, he played David Sutton in Turner and Hooch, which I believe is a detective. Um, so I he was so. so he's also a police officer. Um, Die Hard Two, he was Al Powell again. Uh, Carl Winslow from Family Matters, who was also a cop. He played cops in a lot of things. One of her own, a TV movie where he plays Detective Bob Himes. So, I mean, you're getting the picture here. A lot of his characters are basically cops. So he just plays a lot of a lot of uh, cards. Cops. Why did I say cards? <laughs> There's a Die Hard game <laughs> called Vendetta. Interesting. Sorry. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we're All getting, right. uh, getting away from ourselves here. So distracted. So for those who don't remember Reginald Val Johnson, that's Reginald Val Johnson. Everyone remember from Family Matters, he was Die Hard. For some people who love Die Hard, especially, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies. He played a detective in Turner and Hooch and Turner and Hooch the TV series as well. So that's pretty cool. So this theory um, states that his character in Ghostbusters and Family Matters and Die Hard, I believe, are all the same character. He just goes by different names. So we're gonna go into uh, we're gonna go into the history of this theory. It's from Cracked, um, from 2016. Not sure if they're the ones who um, who came up with it, but they're the ones who have the best explanation of the entire theory. So we're gonna break it down by section, and then we're gonna talk about it. Sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Sounds great. All Amazing. right. So uh, Reginald Vell Johnson's. Uh, role as a prison guard in 1984's Ghostbusters. Um, Bill Johnson went on to play a cop about a million and three times, according to Cracked, um, the writer of which was uh, Michael Garrowy, uh, for this article that I'm reading. Um, okay. So, so you take a look at all of his all of his stuff on his res- resume. Uh, he was a policeman in Kojak. Uh, he played Captain Graff in Plain Clothes. Al Powell, we know. Carl Winslow, we know. And that's really just the tip of it for for all the ones that he mentions here. So let's start with um, Al Powell is uh, traumatized. So I guess the whole theory is that his, his real name is Al Powell, and that's how he goes about starting his, uh, his, his world of fun stuffs. So the uh, first section is Al Powell is traumatized by Egon's explanation of paranormal activity in Ghostbusters. So he starts off as a little mild-mannered cop working in New York, 1984, height of the commies, all that jazz. I'm sorry, that's as good as I can come up with for the 80s. Is that <laughs> how were the 80s? I were I was never there. Uh, he's probably dealing with everything from like shootings to like Wall Street bros cracked out on cocaine. Oh yeah, the cocaine. Um, the CIA dropping crack into minority neighborhoods all that fun yeah, stuff and, and the the richies getting their hands on uh on some pure cocaine people think cocaine was dangerous back then it's a lot more dangerous now that's because of fentanyl but uh, yeah they, it's it was it's dangerous then because uh it was new so people were like 
overdosing easily um, yeah. because they were like, it's going to keep me alive forever. Until nope. it doesn't. Until it kills you. <laughs> so he's a mild-mannered cop working at a, uh, in New York, 1984. Um, one day he has the task of escorting four crazy scientists, mad scientists, to the mayor's office in the Ghostbusters movie. Uh, the reason, as Al himself states, the whole island's going crazy, and that's your no-shit Sherlock. I mean... Sorry, that doesn't make any sense. What I wrote, what I wrote down didn't make any goddamn sense. So, um, that being a no-shit Sherlock moment of what happens after EPA Walter Peck, as we know, uh, shuts off the containment grid... Yeah. Which releases a monumental, yeah, releases a monumental amount of pissed off uh, ghosts into Manhattan. So it's safe to assume that Powell hears at least part of what Egon talks about, and the crew start explaining to each other. And he obviously overhears some of it. That also includes the whole Sumerian god um, Zul um, commentary. I'm sure you remember all of it, where they talk about how fucking crazy Zul is. There is no Ryan, only Zool. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, so, here's all this shit about the Sumerian, ancient Sumerian god coming back to destroy all mankind. That's a hell of a lot of crap to take at work. Of course, I'd never believe that. You'd never believe that. Uh, unless we were in New York at the time. Which I wasn't even a glimmer in my father's eye at that point in time. Uh, I was definitely not in New York. In 1984? Uh, no, I was uh, probably either, uh, you know, in the balls or <laughs> you know, just dating. Okay. Hey. Aha! Just had too much information, but sure. <laughs> it's got to make the family proud, you know. Nice. Um, so after all of this crazy shit happens, Al Powell would have no reason not to believe what these four men uh, who were summoned by the mayor himself uh, are talking about, because obviously things are things are going crazy. Is all these weird stop motion animation ghosts running around, and a lot of weird pretty lights that uh, shouldn't be there, if you know what I mean. Ooh, pretty lights. Pretty lights. So if we know nothing else about Powell, we know he's a talkative guy. So that's a pretty much a key aspect of his character, I think, from Die Hard. I didn't really. Well, I've never really watched Die Hard, to tell you the truth. What? I know. Along with you. Give us a little give us a little information about Tyre. Right. Okay. So the movie uh circles around uh Bruce Willis's character and uh his wife and then the uh people who are trying to steal a bunch of shit from uh Nakatomi Tower. Uh Nakatomi so, Plaza. Oh yeah, Plaza, sorry, Plaza. It is a tower. Uh, it is it, it is a tower. They call it Nakatomi Plaza. Plaza. Uh, the only so, thing I the only things I know about Die Hard are the stuff that I glean from having watched Brooklyn Nine Nine over and over again. Uh, <laughs> for the so, for the kids the kids at home who have never watched Die Hard, give us a little context for Al Powell's character in that movie. So I mean, he's a, a, a relatively small side character. So. As is classic 90s action movie uh, style, uh, the protagonist is moving against the 
uh, you know, obstacle, which is the the criminals. And uh, you know, one of his things is like, oh, I've got to, I've got to reach a police officer. I've got to get some help. And so he he kind of does, and uh, ultimately, it's um, what's his character's name? Al Bruce Willis or uh, or Reginald Val Johnson? Uh, Reginald Val Johnson's uh, Al Powell. Al Powell. So he it's Al Powell. Um, he's responding to the um, the call, um, and so he eventually like gets into radio contact with him. And, uh, so he's, he's really like a tertiary character. Is like he, he like, is he like, he's not in the movie a ton, but he's in it enough. Was he like the supporting guy, the guy behind the chair, as it were? The guy getting him the backup doing it? Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. So he's sort of coordinating things from outside with Bruce Willis's character inside. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he, he does get help and, uh. I think eventually gets uh, sidelined by um, the FBI. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. But he was a talkative yeah. character, right? Like, he didn't just yeah, have a I couple mean, of lines. He, he was know, more... As large as life, you know? Okay, so, it, I mean, he made enough of an impression that most people remember him from Die Hard, as well as family. Yeah, members. I mean, you would you would definitely believe, like, uh, remember him if you watched Okay, that's yeah. what I'm checking here. So, yeah, uh, according to this theory, is very talkative character. He would have probably chatted up the Ghostbusters on the way, getting their take on what was happening, and uh, including, but not limited to, Egon's take on a on the Twinkie. So he probably got a hold of that whole story with the Twinkie. Everybody knows everything about the Twinkie. I would hope. If you haven't. I think you should break it down for them, Kevin. A, a summation of the Twinkie story is Egon and Ray, I believe. Oh, no, Egon and, um, ooh, oh, what's Ernie mm-hmm. Hudson's character's name in oh, Ghostbusters? Oh. I remember his real name, but I can't fucking remember his, his name in the movie. Name. Oh, Ernie Hudson's character, Ghostbusters. What's his character? Winston Zeddemore. That's probably why. Winston Zeddemore. So it's Winston and Egon in the room where they are dropping off ghosts. So they're implanting them into what they call the grid, in quotation marks. The grid. The grid. And um, that he, what's, what uh, Egon is saying is that the grid is, uh, there's a possibility it may fail and containment will be breached. And so any interruption to the electrical uh, grid or anything like that with no backup and everything's just going to go a batshit. And what he, what he suggests is that the amount of uh, paranormal energy or uh, I forgot how he puts it, but paranormal uh, extract and negative energy and stuff like that will be the size of, uh, will end up being a Twinkie. And what they've done... Or sorry, what should be, what should look like the the small Twinkie. Mm-hmm. And that's how much the normal amount of paranormal energy should coalesce together. The size of an, a regular shape tank Twinkie. If any of you kids even know what a Twinkie is, uh, as I recall, they were discontinued and sold off. I don't even, I haven't seen one in a very long time, have you? Is that for real? 
Yeah. They were discontinued and the recipe was sold, along with a bunch of other recipes. I know that I've seen some of the recipes have showed back up, like Coho's, under the Hostess brand name, but the Hostess brand and recipes were sold off to some other place. Coho Hostess. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Twinkies are still around. I, I'm fairly confident I've seen them since. But anyway, Twinkie, delicious-looking cake, uh, very, very artificial in every sense of the word. But he says that the normal amount of energy is a regular-sized Twinkie. And then he goes on to say that the amount of energy that's coalescing inside of the grid containment area that they've created is the is like 50 feet or 50 stories tall and like 50 or 500 yards wide or something. And Isn't to which something like 50 blocks wide. Oh, hold on. I got it. Now I got to look it up. Oh, sorry. 35 feet long and weighing approximately 600 pounds. Okay. To which Winston says, that's a big Twinkie. And of course, that is a big fucking Twinkie. Uh, that is a very big Twinkie. So what's happening is the containment field, if something were to happen to it, uh, shit's going to go crazy. And of course, as we know, the EPA prick, um, who was played by another by a guy who was a real genius as a as another prick, turns it off. He just tells somebody to shut it off because he thinks it's a, an EPA nightmare or some shit like that, but whatever. After he hears about this Twinkie situation, uh, Powell goes on a long and deranged obsession with the Twinkie. Uh, yeah, a Twinkie we... that over time comes to represent evil and shit kickers in his mind. I'm using shit kickers, what they would describe as uh, terrible in his mind. So the Twinkie is the, is the horror nightmare of his nightmares. And as, as, as the theory is put, the, the Twinkie needs to be contained by Al Powell. So, uh, since Al Powell is already at the mayor's office, when the ghostbusters say they need an escort to central park West, uh, he would also be at the scene when Gozer comes back in the form of a 100 foot marshmallow man. So, in the span of a day, Powell comes to learn definitively that there is an afterlife, number one. Uh, number two, it's not necessarily a good one. Uh, number three, there are demonic transdimensional gymnasts who could, at any moment, <laughs> cross into our reality and possibly kill us in a very comedic way. Specifically, the most comedic way that Dan Aykroyd's character can come up with when he's told to think of nothing. So I think what they're trying to say is Al Powell is going to crack, and he's going to crack hard. That's the first part of, of okay. what's happening. So okay. I, after having discussed that, is there any thoughts you might want to contribute to what you think is going on in Al Powell's mind after after hearing about Twinkies... And hearing about, or seeing, a gigantic fucking marshmallow man for his favorite camp time marshmallows uh, try and kill him. And then essentially be blown to smithereens and cast about the entire section of, of New York. I mean, what's going on in your mind after that happens to you? I don't know if I'd be able to, like, 
actively. I'm gonna tell like, you right now, I'm not gonna eat a Twinkie ever fucking again. Right. And although the smell probably is amazing, the uh, smell after the marshmallow has blown up, I I imagine it gets bad quickly. So oh, yeah. So like my I, first imagine, thought is like all uh, the insects and in, like. Hundred miles. I forgot about there. the insects. Oh shit! Yeah. Like the that would be oh, actual God. hell. Insects, ants everywhere, freaking mm-hmm. uh, animals rats. peeing in it, rats showing up. Oh my God! The cleaning bill. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rats. Oh my God! It would be a nightmare, pandemic of of sorts. Disturbing. I didn't even think about that. That's a good one. Well, here's what goes on with Al Powell. Uh, Actually, according to this theory, I will put that in quotation marks at the end, according to this theory, uh, Powell actually moves to LA and he starts to eat a lot of Twinkies. Powell has a mental breakdown. He leaves New York. The stress of his uh, normal job is very high, um, but a marshmallow man was was just too much, and it sent him over the edge. So he moves to L.A., where he develops a a deeply psychological need to devour Twinkies as much as possible before they devour him. Um, So he can ensure they never grow too large and threaten mankind. (laughs) This is his his psychosis. After having uh, gone... (laughs) After having this nightmare marshmallow man... And Twinkies become his his living nightmares. Oh, God. So, when we first meet Al Powell, when he's actually given a name, in Die Hard, um, he is actually uh, buying Twinkies. And I have a, a, a lovely couple of pictures for you that I will show you so you get an okay. idea of what's going on. I'll throw them in the podcast chat here. There you go. So this is when we first meet him. He's actually at the Hostess Cakes section buying Twinkies uh, in a very large quantity. Anybody who doesn't believe us, go and look it up on YouTube. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at a picture of it right now. Yeah. So he's so first time we meet him, he's buying shitloads of Twinkies because of his psychosis about Twinkies and Marshmallow. Because of his psychosis. <laughs> So, uh, so he's not just buying two packs um, or a single two pack like a normal person would if they're going to uh, be driving around town all night on a shift. He buys as many as he can fit in his hands, basically. And it kind of looks like and, in the picture that I see, wow. it kind of looks like he opened one and took a bite out of out of one at least. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's so. So he tries brushing it off by telling the clerk their first pregnant wife. But we all know what's happening. He is terrified that they will grow to a large capacity and kill him in his sleep. So he's going to eat them during his entire shift, and he's probably going to pick up more on the way home. I mean, if that were true, there'd be no way he would make it to Family Matters timeline because he would die of fucking diabetes. I don't know, man. Absolutely, keel over and lose those. So pages. this is this. All right, just so everyone is aware, Ryan, that's uh-huh. the point at which reality 
does not coincide with fiction for you. That's the point that we're that we're beyond. Uh-huh. Yep. The Twinkie thing, not getting diabetes and making it all the way to family matters. That's right. Alright. You know what? You gotta have a sense of realism. I can't I can't mm-hmm. deny it. Later in that film, he ends up demonstrating an encyclopedic sorry, encyclopedic I have a difficult time saying that word. Knowledge of the ingredients inside of a Twinkie when he rattles them off after McLean makes an offhand remark wondering what's in them. All know he definitely knows everything he possibly can about his enemy, the Twinkie, and possibly the Hostess family. I don't know. What about you? Do you think it's the Hostess family that is is his real enemy? Well, I mean, they keep churning him out. That's so, true. It's the factory worker for him. I mean, it, it depends on their ultimate goal. Are they just making Twinkies to make Twinkies? Or do they know that he's on a crusade against Twinkies? And then uh, I have to put the question to you and to all of our listeners out there. How many Twinkies would a man need to consume before he's managed to memorize the entire ingredients list down to polysorbate 60? I can't imagine that it's actually as many as you'd think. I mean, let's think, let's think about every time. Let's think about what his job is. He's a police officer, so I bet he has a bunch of night shifts. Mm-hmm. And when he's just sitting around, this was before smartphones and shit. So he's sitting around, and he's got nothing to read, so all he's reading are Twinkie labels. He's like, you know what? What's in these things? Gotta know my enemy as I'm eating him. So yeah, he's probably sitting there. I'll bet you he's made it through several hundred by the time he's figured out every single ingredient. That sounds about right. I'd say three or four hundred. Yeah, uh, I mean, it depends on how much time he dedicates to actually like looking at it and thinking about it. Or if it's well, like uh, just passing, yeah, I can see that. If he's like really concentrating on it, I'd say it's probably more like maybe one hundred and fifty. Yeah, I would say a few, a few hundred, at least two, maybe three, possibly four hundred. Uh, any further proof that you need that he's a Twinkie fanatic? You can see that his cameo in Die Hard 2 has him sitting at a desk, uh, which is has a plethora of Twinkies, you know, all over it, while he takes a call from McLean. And he's actually eating one while he's on the phone, too. Let me send, <laughs> send, I'll send you this one as well, so you get an idea. There you go. Am I okay. right? Uh, yeah, yeah, there he is. He's eating it on the phone. Yep, he's eating it on the phone. He's got four or five on his desk, which he's unwrapping. and you know, He's got these single-wrapped ones these times, which means he bought it in bulk, probably at a Costco. Did Costco's exist at that time? I have no idea. No idea. So, in his mind, the Twinkie connection, uh, and obviously junk food connection of New York City being attacked by a junk food mascot, is the cause of paranormal destruction in his mind. He is unconsciously trying to prevent it by consuming at an alarming rate an unfathomable amount of Twinkies. And probably I guess other Costco would products. have existed. It was founded in 1976. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Question was it in Chicago in 1976? Or 1984, oh, I should say. I don't was was he in Chicago at that time? Because that that would have been. I apologize. L.A. I mean, I L.A. Think. 
Why did I say Chicago? Because that we, family you mentioned, Yeah, you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. So we have to find out. Well, did Costco's exist? History of Costco. 1983 opens up in Seattle, Washington. Uh, Portland, Oregon. Spokane by 1983. Salt Lake City, Utah, 1984. Burnaby, British Columbia, 1985. Midwest, East and West Coast. So I would say by at least 1988 is when the one in L.A. would have shown up. Okay. So, so, so I mean, probably during Family Matters, at least. So he definitely yeah. bought them in bulk because he had them in single wrap packages, which means he bought a carton of them. Probably has cartons in a closet full of them at this point because of his... You know his problem, so so that's that's what we've determined here so far. Uh, to summarize, is that he's discovered a unconscious fear of an ancient Sumerian god or ancient Sumerian transgender gymnast showing back up and killing him in a most comedic fashion using a late night snack slash campfire ritual uh, food mascot if he does not consume enough paranormal energy to prevent that so he buys twinkies and consumes them at an alarming pace so that's what we've established so far i believe did i miss anything i don't think i missed anything (laughs) at least this one's not as dark as our last one this one's just comical Uh, I did. I did think of a a maybe more depressing reason there could be this threat of Twinkies through this. All right. So uh, as we know, commerce is a thing, and yeah. uh, people engage in it. And when they engage in it, they engage it to uh, quite a bit of an extreme. So uh, okay. Uh, what I posit is that it just so happens that he was the one chosen for that role. And if it had been another actor that still would have had the Twinkies because, uh, uh, you know, Hostess uh, wants to sell some Twinkies. So they're going to get whoever they can to eat them as often as they can, as visibly as they can. So when you leave that movie theater, you're not thinking, oh, God, that action scene is so cool. You're thinking about fucking Twinkies. Uh, okay, uh, for those who are who are unaware or um, not in the know of how advertising works for movies and how Netflix probably makes a lot of its money um, without using advertising, is they use those sly little things where they throw in a product with its actual name. Like uh, I believe it was the second season, maybe the third season. I think it was the third season when they introduced the new Coke fad. It's because Coca-Cola bought a bunch of block time from them and said, you have to show it this many times and this many episodes or whatever. However, they negotiated it. You'll see Burger King a lot. You'll see a whole bunch of shit if you pay attention mm-hmm. in movies where or TV shows. That's how they make a lot, of mo- a lot of money that they can keep themselves instead of handing over to channels or something. Get the well, it's like uh, if you if you watched um, the the more recent Jurassic Park movies, they might have a scene where like 
a car pulls up and the character gets out, but it doesn't like zoom into the character. It stays on the front of the car. So you can tell exactly what mic yeah, and so model see, it yeah, is. You'll see the label like Ford or um, Jeep or yeah. what's what it, it, you saw it in uh, Jurassic world, the original Jurassic world where mm-hmm. uh, they uh, showed up uh, Samsung Verizon presents um, uh, Indominus Rex, whatever it was. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so they brought. They so it, put a it's whole like an in-universe like joke about sponsorship, but it was an actual sponsorship. Yeah, paid for by an actual sponsorship. Right. So you saw Samsung stuff. You saw Verizon stuff. I think there was a Burger King out there. There was a freaking Margaritaville, uh, which I think actually had the actual Jimmy Buffett. Right. There was someone in there that was real famous. Grabbed two margaritas and ran. Uh, if that was Jimmy Buffett, that's cool. But um, yeah, uh, Margaritaville's like a restaurant, usually southeasty, I think. Uh yeah. Like, if you uh, go down to Orlando, there's uh, Florida, there's, there's one of them East for Coast. sure. Yeah, I like Margaritaville. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, I gotta look it up now. It was Jimmy Buffett, so uh, he plays a bartender in Jurassic World, and he's seen carrying the two margaritas while pterosaurs were set loose. I thought it was him. Oh, nice. So he probably asked to be in it, and that was his only thing. And then they can use Margaritaville if they wanted to. So I, I don't know what, how that works, but he probably paid for the joke of himself being in there. Anyway, yeah. back to Al Powell in this case. Shaken, Mr. Powell, um, by his experience in New York, uh, he ends up accidentally shooting a, f- a child in the line of duty. So it does get a little dark. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, this is still better than like aborted babies and whatever. <laughs> so let's so, just keep rolling on with the sunshine. All right. Keep the rainbow coming. Gotcha. So this event further damages his psyche. Uh, psyche. And it gets put on desk duty from there. Not only does Powell tell the clerk at the store that he has a pregnant wife, he tells the same thing to McLean. Does he have a pregnant wife? We'll find out. The video that was attached to this particular theory didn't actually have any helpful pictures or anything because it was uh, discontinued or terminated or something. I don't know. Terminated. Um, so in the video that they that they had there, you could see that Powell's hands in the video, uh, as he takes the bag, puts the change in the charity container, uh, he has no wedding ring on either hand. That's what they were trying to get you to notice. Um, mm. Later, when Deputy Police Chief D- Dwayne Robinson uh, is trying to get Powell off the scene, uh, Powell claims you couldn't drag him away. Uh, wouldn't a man with a wife and a child on the way have much, much more to lose? And um, obviously the deputy chief of police should know this about anybody who's going to be on site or in the field. I mean, wouldn't you, like, yeah, if you're someone who had, like, a, a wife and child and you didn't have to be there, wouldn't you be like, cool, man, I'm booking it. Yeah. Like, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, I would 100% just be like, cool, bye. So... We've established his psychosis. We've established he shot a child. His psychosis is even deeper. And he's probably on on the verge of losing it. And his wife has probably left him, if he had a wife. And this uh, 
pregnant wife with child on the way. Probably doesn't exist. Evidence is piling up that this man is about to have a serious breakdown. Let's keep going. Mm. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> so the shooting of Carl. So um, up to this point, Al Powell seems to be able to keep it together. Seems to be able to keep it together, in quotation marks. Considering the mindfuck of circumstances he's find, found himself in, especially with the transgender gymnast, whom I'm going to refer to as transgender gym, gymnast, because I'm pretty sure they were going for a gender-neutral uh, sort of thing. I think with, it was 100% based on David Bowie. You think so? I absolutely 100% believe so. I feel like they should have had David Bowie. They probably didn't have the I budget mean, for David Bowie. I mean, maybe they tried. And I was say they, they probably didn't have the budget. Make it work, yeah. So they just hired a model at like for twenty thousand dollars or something, something super cheap. Yeah. Um, what she did a good a good job. I don't think that was her voice actually. I think it was modulated uh, between a several voices. Well, yeah, it would have been something dubbed. It was definitely dubbed. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely dubbed. But she did a good job. Yeah. Uh, of all things. So, uh, the fabric of his reality ends up coming to a crash um, with this single event. Um, set into motion, incidentally, by a character named, or sorry, played by William Atherton. Um, the actor who played the dickless EPA agent. That's his name. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot his name. Atherton. So pompous ass. Anyway, so the dickless EPA agent responsible for the near destruction of New York City. Uh, in L.A., his dickless reporter character digs too deep into McLean's backstory, putting the entire Nakatomi Tower and everyone involved in the attack at risk. It is his presence that cues Powell's breakdown. Uh, in this second case, it's manifested in the shooting of Carl, uh, who's the bad guy from Die Hard, who isn't Alan Rickman. Not Alan Rickman. Did you see Die Hard 2? Because I didn't see Die Hard 1 or Die Hard 2, so I don't really know. None, none of these seen names. all the Die Hard movies, but I would say 2 and 3 are the ones I've seen the least. Yeah, those ones mean nothing. Those names mean nothing to me. So, so for those who don't know, at the time he shoots a character called Carl. Um, he's already traumatized from all of this nonsense with um, Sumerian gods and the Olympics. Hmm. And he, <laughs> his past incidents of uh, shooting that innocent child. So, being forced to use his gun again kind of makes him snap. And uh, he's unable to find peace on either coast. So, Sergeant Al Powell recedes deeper into his mind and creates what he considers a safe place between these two tragic events. He imagines himself a man, family man. In Chicago. Where fam Chicago. Where family really matters. Yeah, so, definitely. Sure. He's still a cop, but one where his duties never interfere with a solid, loving home life. He not only has a pregnant wife, either. Uh, sorry, not just a pregnant wife, either. Here, he's got a wife, three kids, sister-in-law who never goes the fuck away, and his mother all surrounding him, giving him support whenever and wherever he needs it. Don't forget an annoying neighbor kid. 
And his annoying neighbor child, who just happens to be the monkey on his back. So uh, he's a family man dealing with family matters, not Al Powell anymore. He's given himself a new name, Carl Winslow. Is Steve Urkel going to be like the the representation of the child that he shot? <laughs> Give me a second here. I wasn't done with, <laughs> I wasn't done with my it? joke, you jackass. <laughs> so he's Carl Winslow. The man who was never attacked by terrorists, and the man who was never attacked by the spirits of the undead. Bastard. So, (laughs) Powell's overwhelming guilt at having shot another person after this child, uh, and the implications of what that means for all of his victims in the afterlife, because that's what he's thinking about every time he ingests a Twinkie. Uh, Powell decides to become a new person, Carl, in his mind. Someone who can live a peaceful, happy life um, and actually has a wedding ring on in uh, Family Matters. I mean, that that could also have been like just uh, an error by the prop director. With the, with the ring? It could yeah. be, but... Absolutely could have You're been. breaking down the walls between reality and fiction here, and this is a fan theory. Yes. I'm so, just saying... That we don't know that the intent was that oh, he is absolutely. I don't think you get what like, we're trying to do here. We're trying to convey a ridiculous narrative. That is what we're going for. <laughs> You're trying to convey the ridiculous narrative, <laughs> and I'm trying to tear it down. He's just trying to break that fourth wall and give reality a push in. Like a cheap two bit whore from the mean streets of Reno. I'm sorry. I, don't know. I, I mean, it's just that like it, it feels like. A bunch of these uh, just rely on, like, uh, you know, uh, unfettered psychosis or something that can't really be 100% uh, interpreted because there's... I believe that the evidence has been laid down properly enough that it sets the narrative up. Because, I mean, you could pull out more facts that some of these things don't make any sense, but so far, knowing nothing about Die Hard and knowing everything about Ghostbusters... I could I could be convinced, but you've seen both. So if, if it's harder to convince you, then there must be some other evidence there that we're just missing that he omitted because it doesn't fit his narrative. Whoever created uh, this theory. I mean, it's just it's very convenient for like the the stuff that comes after to be tied in through psychosis. So it's it's not necessarily saying that the stuff before that was you know, not. Would you be more comfortable if we called it an anxiousness or an anxiety, a phobia? Well, it, 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 I mean, it sounds more like they're trying to explain that what comes after Die Hard as like a, a fugue state or like disassociation, uh, which is like. I mean, just... I'd never shot anybody in my life, but if I shot an innocent child and I don't know who Carl is, so I'm pretty sure I'd have a hard time. Coping with reality, too. Coping with myself, at the very least. I understand where you're going with it. I mean, it. it's definitely absolutely traumatic, but, like, I just feel like a lot of these theories, like, uh, rely on things that can't necessarily be confirmed. Well, I don't think many of the theories that we've gone over rely on a psychosis of any kind. I believe that, well, to be fair, the one with Angelica, she was born with um, schizophrenia. That's a genetic disorder, not necessarily I would call a psychosis anymore. 
Well, it's, it, schizophrenia is absolutely psychosis, whether it's genetic or not. Oh, yeah, oh I don't think we can say that anymore. Uh, but the Kevin McAllister thing is not. It's not a psychosis. No, no, that that's just straight. You know, up. everything he was doing was wrong. He just didn't care. That's just psychopathic. Uh, is that psychopath or, or sociopath? Soci- I always sociopath? get those mixed. No, that's psychopathic. Psychopathic is violence. Sociopathic is manipulation. Yes, but both of them know what they're doing is wrong. They just don't give a shit. Right. Yes, Got exactly. It. All right. Well, so yeah, not psychosis in that case, and the other ones. Well, I'm just not going to go into it. Get out of my face here. So he remains in this fugue state, if you will, um, in his fantasy life, living it up until his guilt comes back to haunt him. And it manifests itself in a 13-year-old boy named Steve Urkel. So I was right. Yeah. Of course you were right, jackass. Yes. Called it. So Urkel uh, has no appeal whatsoever. He's abrasive, annoying. His voice is absolutely jarring to the core, and he inexplicably drags Carl Wins- Winslow on a long, uh, on a series of preposterous, or should I say, more and more preposterous events as the series goes on. Why, you ask? Urkel is the manifestation of Al Powell's guilt, his own personal devil. Urkel is the boy Powell shot. So all the stupid shit that Urkel does is his punishment for shooting the kid. His guilt has manifested itself inside of his own sight. Uh, mentally broke down psyche. So he's in a safe spot, but now he's attempting to deal with it. And Urkel is the way that he deals with it. Or at least punishes himself for to deal with it. It comes back in the most obnoxious possible form and completely impossible to get rid of. He's haunting Carl. Um, he's literally the angry spirit, which we already know is possible because of the, apparently this exists in the same universe as Ghostbusters. So Carl is mentally traumatized and he's internalizing the haunting and uh, his, his inability to distinguish reality from fantasy. And it gives Urkel um, the spirit, I should say, total control over his life, despite his ability to always enrage and frustrate Carl. I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of Family Matters, and I certainly I, haven't seen it in a god in a long time. I fucking love Family Matters. I've uh, seen the funny stuff that some people do. Like there was a there was a joke about I think it was a skit from Mad TV to tell you the truth, or possibly Key and Peele, where um, Steve Urkel. It's like the sixth season, and. Uh, Reginald Vell Johnson walks up to the producer and is like, "I want to, I want to make my part a little better, or I'm, or I'm leaving." And then Steve Urkel walks into the room and he's like, "You can't leave. You're not allowed to leave, Carl." He's like, "My name's Reginald. Carl, don't play this game." And then he gets all <laughs> weird and telepathic and shit. I'd love to find that. Try and remember it. I yeah. If you find that, I've got to watch that. If I find it, I'll I'll put it on the Discord and I'll put it on our, our Twitter and Facebook for everybody. It's <laughs> it's amazing. absolutely fantastic. It might be, but family, there's I think. there's insane shit that happens. Everything from like, uh, you know, oh, I forgot to do this for you, and it had this consequence. To like, 
I rammed a car into your house, and now you have to fix your whole ass house. <laughs> and it's like, it's just a pure demon of unpredictable, like, anything could happen at any moment. And that's before they get into, like, the weird science shit that apparently Urkel yeah. was doing. Yeah, so no, that, that brings brings us to the fact that because it's so ridiculous, it has to be a fantasy world. And in the real world, you would think that an adult, obviously a police officer, would have the ability to put his foot down and stop this bothersome neighbor's child from ever showing up again. But because this is a guilt trip, as it were, Carl's completely powerless to do anything. And as each of the horrible tortures befalls him and his family, his tormentor's cries of, did I do that, only serve to mock him (laughs) even further. (laughs) Those are my... Those are not. Those are not my words. Those are from the uh, the the uh, uh, writer of the article, who is, uh, as I said earlier, Michael Garraway. I thought they were fantastic and had to be included. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> Did I do that? Oh God. Uh- I really need to see like a Halloween episode because I guarantee you at least one of their Halloween episodes it does feature that exact thing where like uh, echoey like ghostly version of did I do that goes <laughs> in the halls tormenting Carl I I am certain that happened that's Even fantastic if it, didn't, it must have happened it, was, it must have must have <laughs> so um, all of this being. The fact that he knew the horrors of the potential afterlife that could await both of his victims. So Steve's cries are actually <laughs> Carl's cries from when he was saying, did I do that after he oh, had killed both now, the child? It's not, now that makes me sad. It's not funny anymore, is it? <laughs> no. It's a little funny I ruined me. my fun. So, um, so you've done that. You, do, you did fuck that one up there, bud. So... Um, his Uh-oh. guilt has been exploited by this poltergeist, um, who takes more and more control of his fantasy life. As we've just said, the seasons get progressively more and more ridiculous as Urkel seems to be the main focus of the show after a certain amount of years. Um, yeah. first his, his youngest Urkel. daughter disappears without a trace as the character is retconned from the series and never mentioned again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the one who went yeah. upstairs and never came back down. Yes, yeah. Just like I, I cousin, Ol- cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch. Yeah, think was his name. Went went up the stairs and nobody ever sees him. Nobody sees her again either. Then his mother and sister in law and their child are forced out. Uh, it's as if all the emotional support he had in his fantasy world is being stripped away, as he's forced to devote more and more time to dealing with this poltergeist, Steve Urkel. Uh, even his eldest daughter. Um, the unwilling object of the affections for this ghost uh, eventually softens and winds up getting engaged to him, even though she could not stand him to begin with. So, Hey, Laura, do you have some cheese? <laughs> Al's unable to deal with his guilt or its spiritual manifestation, and it bores a hole uh, into his life. <sighs> like some kind of parasite. So... Um, in the end, he's really unable to to escape his own into his mind. With okay. his fam- family disappearing, 
Carl Winslow begins his final descent into madness uh, with Steve Urkel in a series of increasingly stupid adventures, uh, some of which include um, robots, dolls, a vaguely racist Bruce Lee parody, which I kind of remember. Um, there's no escape and no respite. The world con- world he's constructed as a safe haven has now become his uh, cage, as it were, and the vengeful power of the damned spirits have fed upon his guilt to drive him to the point of this madness, and drives us, the audience, to the point of changing the channel, because that show sucks so bad. The, la- the last seasons were not easy to watch. No, yeah. they became ridiculous. You know, you know what he should have done. What? Who, who he should have called? Oh my God! Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. <laughs> so that's the that's the end. Essentially, he goes mad, and he spends the rest of his life in his fugue state, probably in some sort of mental institution. All of his health is paid for by the state, though, so he should be fine. Oh joy. <laughs> in in LA. So yeah, that's uh that's that whole one. I enjoyed that. Finding that one was pretty hilarious. Cause uh a lot of the fan conspiracy theories that you find are kind of stupid and ridiculous and like one liners, but that one was well thought out and had a lot of parts to it. Yeah, uh it is it, it was like decently constructed. And, and it was nice uh, that it was about one character as opposed to um a show or a movie. Right, right, right. That's all we got here today. Um, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, at 7 Days to RSG. Um, follow us for our Fan Conspiracy Theory Thursdays, Comic Book Fridays, Stargate Sundays. I know we haven't done too many of those, but we're trying to do at least uh, two things a week. So far, we've done okay on that. So um, we shall. Uh, we'll see you then. Wish you seven days to Rock and Stone, Guardians. Rock and Stone, Guardians. Later. Bye-bye.